the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, hello everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you to a live stream From our studios, uh, as you can see, this is not the uh, traditional setting when I'm doing my live streams, but uh, this time we are in our studios, still live, and we have a dear guest that many of you know him by now by the name of Mel. And of course, whenever we mention the name Mel, we're talking about historical criticism that is related to parts of the Islamic tradition, and specifically what we call the standard Islamic tradition tradition, which is nicknamed as sin, no pun intended here. All that to say is that today's topic is even more powerful and more damaging because it has to do with the Sira, that is the S-I-R-A in English, uh, which is Sirat, uh, the prophet, meaning the story of the prophet, the uh, life of the prophet, if you wish, the one that was written initially by Ibn Ishaq and then Uh, by uh, Ibn Hisham, which, by the way, traditionally, we used to say it was Ibn Ishaq and then his student, Ibn Hisham, but now you look at the time difference between the two, it's quite impossible, really, that Ibn Hisham was like a lifelong student of Ibn Ishaq. It maybe, maybe was exposed to him one way or another, but Ibn Ishaq traditionally wrote his sirah or wrote his biography, if you wish, of Muhammad, about 130 years, give or take, you know, let's say 100 years after the death of the prophet. Could he have heard some stories, possibly? Did he have eyewitness account? I'll be very surprised if he did, really. But maybe he heard it from second and third generations, possibly. But then Ibn, is, uh, Ibn Hisham, it was about 180 years after the death of the prophet. You can see now the gap between uh, these writings and the life of the prophet himself. If there is any oral transmissions, it is definitely open for criticism now because uh, to share something based on memory is totally different than to share it in writing. And that's why you begin to see these writings of the biographies existed at a later time because apparently there was a need now to come up with a fixed tradition. Even that did not solve the problem, by the way. There is a number of well-known biographies of Muhammad. So the title for today has to do with the fabrication, the fabrication of the seerah of Muhammad or the fabrication of the biography of Muhammad. With that in mind, I want to welcome our guest, Mel. Uh, Brother Mel, thank you so much for being here with us. Great to be back. Uh, It's lovely to uh, see you again and to share some new ideas. 
Yep. Thank you so much, yep. brother. And we appreciate you always uh, because of the research that you do for us. And you do also for, for your own, uh, uh, of course, uh, the purpose of researching and uh, uh, putting it out there in your own channel, uh, which let's remind everyone, it's called the Sneakers Corner. And that's the Sneakers, uh, Corner, yeah. Yeah, Sneakers Corner. And that's the uh, YouTube channel where you can find uh, many of the work that our brother has done. And he works with a fabulous team. And you can probably watch some of the results of the research on Fonders Films. Uh, where Dr. J. Smith uses a lot of that material, and we've been using that as well here on CIRA International. And now everybody knows why I called it CIRA, the acronym for my channel. You know, it was intentional uh, to point to the biography of Muhammad, but in a different way. We want them to come to the real Savior. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Mel, tell us uh, what's going on with the biography, and why am I not surprised that it has fabrications in it? Yeah, so um, over the past few years, I've been looking at the historical origins of the story. And the more I've delved into it, um, I just keep finding contradictions in the story. And there seems to be tweaks and changes over time. And nothing seems to fit. And like many people, I had accepted that the standard Islamic narrative was reliable initially. I had some questions about whether, you know, certain details of it were true, like, for example, the revelation by Gabriel to Muhammad and so on. But I thought that the basic biographical details must be correct um, because it's accepted across the world. It's, it's found in encyclopedias and, uh, you know, even reputable um, scholars seem to believe the story. But the more I delved into it and I started asking questions, I noticed that there were a lot of early sources that contradicted it. So today what I'm looking at really is is having looked at the Syrah um, and particularly looking at it with Christian eyes, it was pretty obvious to me that there were some heavy borrowings from the Gospels and also from the Old Testament. And some of these I found were um, ham-fisted, really, fabrications. And they they made me laugh, actually, when I read some of them. And uh, I think most Christians, if they were to look at the, the Sirah, they would notice that these are really obvious borrowings, you know. So that's the, the topic that I'm going to Wonderful. look at today with you. And uh, before we jump into your slides, because I know you have some slides you want to show us, uh, uh, this is also our special live stream where we have our radio show at the same time as uh, as well as our live stream through our YouTube channel and I think also through Facebook this time as well. So uh, we want to welcome, of course, our radio audience for Let Us Reason. And if you are listening to this, it's going to be the two usual parts, part one today and part one for the radio audience next week. And for our uh, studio audience right now, it will be a continuation. We'll have part one and then a one-minute transition, and we'll do part two right here live. So stay tuned when we conclude the first part. So I want to welcome again both our live studio audience and our Let Us Reason radio audience. And to reiterate again, the topic for today's uh, discussion is called The Fabrication of the Sira or the fabrication of the biography of the Prophet of Islam. So what do you have for us, uh, basically, by way of data and slides that you want to show us right now? Okay, so I'm essentially taking passages from the Sirah, and then I'm comparing them with passages from the Bible. And when we compare them side by side, we can see that they are um, there's a, 
there's a link between the two. There's a borrowing. There's a, a rehashing of ideas. Okay. Okay. So if we start with slide one. Okay. So the idea is really that the, the Sarah is as phony as a pantomime pony. Um, and this should be pretty obvious. This should not be a surprise to most of the audience, though there are still Muslims that hold out hope that substantially there's some truth to the Sarah. But the more that you look into it, it's it's pretty obvious that that substantial part of it is uh, simply made up and it has been borrowed and it has been manufactured, as it were. And so if we turn to slide two. So the Sarah borrows motifs from the Old Testament. I'm just going to show you one obvious one. The most flagrant borrowing of a Moses motif is that Muhammad supposedly dies before entering the promised land of Israel. And to achieve this, he's recorded as having died in 632 without ever reaching Israel. Wow. So this is the story you find in the sin. <laughs> but that has created huge problems in terms of trying to get um, historical sources to back that up. And, you know, I believed the sin originally. I believed the standard Islamic narrative. And I tried to make the early sources fit the standard Islamic narrative and failed every time. And I, I scratched my head wondering, why does it not fit? And the reason why it didn't fit is simply that they've changed the original story to fit the um, story they wanted to tell, which is to make Muhammad look like a Moses figure, okay, so kind of like a savior. Yeah, Mil, let, let me play the devil's advocate here. If if this is really uh, the case, as of course, I don't believe Muhammad even, uh, you know, went anywhere outside of maybe his house. Um, if if this is the case, then how come we have chapter 17 of the Quran with the claim that Muhammad did the Isra, you know, the journey to Jerusalem? Gee, I wonder where was the Aqsa Mosque on the rock? Was it outside of Israel, outside of the Promised Land? Yeah, I think the, the danger is we're assuming that um, all of the parts of the Quran uh, had been produced in the time of this Prophet Muhammad. But, right, right. I'm, know, I'm just playing the traditional approach. Yeah, I mean, if yeah, you if you, yeah, if you use yeah. the traditional approach, it's poking holes already in itself. It is, yeah. Um, there's there's loads of uh, problems. Well, I think one of the, the problems could be that um, having moved Muhammad way down into the Hijaz, um, you now have a problem because there are stories circulating mm-hmm. of the historical Muhammad, who's a totally has a totally different biography, but people are aware that he had visited Jerusalem. So how do you how do you defend this new narrative if if people know that he has visited Jerusalem? Well, what you do is you put him on a flying horse and you send him up there on a one night journey, and yep. problem solved. And enough people believed this new tale um, and people stopped asking questions and eventually after the the first couple of generations died and that story of Muhammad actually being in Palestine for real, as soon as that was forgotten, um, they carried on with this new narrative so the reason why we can be confident of that is if we we look at the following, uh, while Muslims so I'll just read it from here however, while Muslims defending the standard Islamic narrative like to use the contemporary mentions of anonymous prophet in the doctrine of Jacobi and the Tayyayi of Muhammad in the Thomas the Presbyter sources, they fail to appreciate that these contradict directly the claims in that narrative. They indicate he's alive and active in 634 AD. 
and that he seems to be only coming on the scene in that year. So instead of these early sources suggesting that he's died in 632 and he's ending his life at that time, these early sources suggest the opposite. They actually say he's alive two years later and he's only beginning the mission. He's not ending the mission. Um, So it's a very different account. Um, And they clearly place him fighting in Palestine slash Israel. Now, for those who are not aware, these two sources um, are from around the year 640. So these are our best and earliest sources about a historical figure. One of them, as I say, is anonymous. The other refers to a person called Muhammad, which we assume to be a title and not uh, the real name of the person. But it's really interesting that this uh, shoots a big, massive hole in the standard Islamic narrative one that is retold throughout the Sira. So there's, you know, that's that's a serious problem. If I have to choose between two sources from the year 640 and the Sira, which was written, finalised by um, Ibn Hisham 200 years later, I'm obviously going to go with the earliest reliable sources, um, even if it's just a minute detail like the year that he was alive. I think I would much more be inclined to believe that over a a source that's 200 years later, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the the closer you are to the main event, uh, the better your data would be, and uh, hopefully even more reliable. You cannot convince me that someone who wrote about an event almost 200 years after the fact can be more accurate than someone who was close to it. So it's just common sense. Yeah, um, and there's also the the possibility that 200 years later, uh, the the people being asked to write the Sirah, like Ibn Hisham, they've been asked by the caliph to write a narrative that suits the politics of the time. Mm -hmm. And so there's a a vested interest to change the narrative to suit the powers that be. Plus, there's the bonus that there are very few people who can contradict it. And there's a danger to anyone who does or who, who do contradict it, that they'll be killed by the caliphs. So, they're, you know, they have the power of the state behind them and, uh, and who can contradict that narrative. Yep, that's right. So if we... So you want to take us to the next the, one? Going on to the next one now, uh, we can see obvious examples of rehashing from the New Testament as well to bulk out the story of Muhammad. I believe that Ibn Ishaq, when he started writing the Sirah, he had very little to go by. Uh, so he had to use whatever sources he could get um, and borrow from wherever he could in order to try and make a story. While an attempt was made to hide the origin of these details in the supposed life of Muhammad, their borrowing is pretty obvious, I think, to most Christians. Um, And again, I want to reiterate to everyone, uh, because we have about maybe uh, eight minutes, uh, give or take, left for part one of our radio, uh, Let Us Reason, and also this uh, part one of the live stream. The topic is the fabrication of the Sirah or the biography of Muhammad. And our brother Mill here has shown so far some things that are questionable. For instance, the claim that Muhammad did not make it to the promised land before his death, something to equate it to Moses, for instance, who was denied to enter the promised land. And then uh, we have other uh, aspects, of course, of the biography that he's going to show us now that has been borrowed, apparently, from Christian sources or from the Gospels in this case. Yeah. 
Now, my point here in terms of uh, the borrowing, it's not a, like a direct copy and paste job, as you sometimes see online. This is more a case of borrowing the general idea. So at the beginning of the Sirah, you see that it starts off with Muhammad's pure descent from Adam. Mm-hmm. That's there on the left. If we compare that with the uh, genealogy uh, that's found in Luke's gospel, you see that it goes all the way to the bottom there, the son of Adam. It's it's basically a genealogy that traces itself back to the son of Adam. So right. that's a, a clear borrowing. So much for now, our Muslim we, friends attacking the genealogy of Jesus from Luke, you know, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it didn't seem to be a problem when they were writing the Sirah. Yeah. Now, if we then turn to another example, there is a reference to the line of Ishmael. Now, this here on the left-hand side is not a clear-cut genealogy of Muhammad, uh, but the main difference here with Matthew's genealogy is that it switches the focus away from Abraham to Ishmael to reinforce the idea that um, Muhammad was essentially um, the authentic um, descendant of Abraham yeah, through I, the, the line of Ishmael. And I want to add so to this. It served a purpose. Yeah, I want to add to this, Mel. This is a very important point you're, you're bringing up here. While the biography may have indicated that Muhammad is a descendant of Abraham or Abraham from Ishmael, or Ismail in Arabic, we do not find such claim in the Quran at all. Not a single one of them ever made this claim. In fact, the Quran actually affirms in two different locations, one of them in chapter 29, verse 27, that the prophethood was given to the descendants of Abraham through Isaac, confirming, by the way, the uh, eternal covenant that God made with Abraham uh, through Isaac. So I'm not really so sure why our Muslim friends cannot even question the fact that in this case, the Sirah of Ibn Ishaq or Ibn Isham trumps what the Quran is actually teaching. Yeah. And of course, 200 years after the, the fact, the um, the powers that be are trying to push um, um, the idea that the Arabs are supreme and uh, they're, they're trying to um, justify their claims to power. Mm-hmm. So by claiming that Muhammad descended from um, Ishmael and that 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 was a legitimate uh, line um, which overrules what the Bible says. This this obviously suits their interests, uh, but it isn't accurate, and it it, um, it contradicts the Bible's teaching. Amen. Again, I want to welcome everyone who is joining us right now. You are watching us live from our studios with our uh, dear brother Mel, uh, who is uh, joining us remotely. And we are talking about a topic that uh, should be important for our Muslim friends, which is the fabrication of the biography of Muhammad, the very, uh, basically the foundation or rock uh, foundation for their own belief that there is a prophet who existed. And this prophet came from the uh, lineage of Abraham through Ishmael, not to mention the many other things that are mentioned in this biography that sometimes causes some uh, the, the person basically to pause and scratch their head about the details or the accounts that are mentioned that 
you can tell it was taken from something else that is almost sometimes verbatim or identical to it. And even if the thought is there, still you can tell that it's what are the coincidences of the same event happening twice in the two lives of two different persons, you know, that are claiming, in this case, Muhammad to have come after Jesus. And yet you see that Muhammad has similar events that happen in his life that mimic what Jesus also had to deal with. We have about, uh, brother, about four minutes, give or take, to finish uh, this first yeah. part of our Let Us Reason radio. So I just want to give you uh, enough time to wrap up your thought about this first part. Okay. Well, I'm, I might be able to just finish on, on this slide here. Um, this is to do with the, the birth of Muhammad. And uh, according to the Sirah, um, a voice speaks to his mother and says, you are pregnant with the Lord of, of this people. Mm-hmm. And it says uh, that she was pregnant with him and she's, saw a light come forth from her by which she could see the castles of Buzra in Syria. That's right. So apparently there's a light coming from her womb, lighting up the castles of, of Buzra in Syria. Now there's tons of problems with that. One being, well, if she's way down in the Hejaz, how can she light up a castle in Syria? But even apart from that, it's pretty obvious that they're borrowing from the Gospels, even though they're tweaking it. That's right. So if we take, we take the first one, you're pregnant with the Lord of this people. We look at Luke one forty three. Why should this great thing happen to me, that my Lord's mother comes to visit me? So there we have that. And then if we look at um, the following from Matthew chapter 2, the, the reference to the star lighting up the place where Jesus was born. It stopped over the place where the child was. Right. And we even see this in the Sarah. It says, Tonight has risen a star under which Ahmed is to be born. This is straight out of the Gospels. Straight out of Luke, really. I mean, and Matthew. Yeah. 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 And then Matthew 2.2, 2, where is the baby born to be the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it came up in the east, and we have come to worship him. So we can see clearly they, all they've done is they've taken the ideas from the Gospel. Mm-hmm. They've rehashed them. They've put them in their own words. They've... You know, you kind of have to hand it to them. They came up with a, a novel idea, which is the idea that Muhammad's mother was like um, a like a big torchlight shining out light from her from the womb, uh, brightening up the castles in Syria. That was about the only original thing they came up with. But like they had, right? right. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and uh, probably there was a source that talked about a light shining in Syria somewhere, and it was borrowed as well. Um, you know, so uh, again, uh, if you have just tuned in, or if you've been watching this from the beginning, we've been talking about a very important topic called the fabrication of the Sira. What do we mean by the Sira? Obviously, the biography of Muhammad, the bedrock of foundation for Islam. Apparently, there is so much borrowing taking place in these biographies that you can trace the source with ease. I mean, as my brother Mill here, who is uh, doing this fabulous, uh, you know, analysis for us, said any Christian, just by looking at the biography of Muhammad, you can quickly remember seeing it somewhere else in the gospel, whether the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Matthew, or even, uh, you know, if you would just to do a quick research, you'll discover many uh, articles been written about these things concerning the borrowings that uh, we find in the biography of Muhammad. Now, why is that crucial, folks? Because this yet adds another dilemma to Islam the fact that Islam is built on fabricated facts, not truth, but fabrications. How can you follow a religion that everything about it, unfortunately, is 
come into question now, whether the direction of the Qibla, the uh, origin of the Kaaba, the uh, Black Stone, uh, the, uh, uh, basically the origin of the religion itself, the founder of the religion itself, and uh, the list can go on and on, and not to mention the book of the religion. So with that in mind, uh, we are going to wrap up right now our part one of Let Us Reason. So I want to thank our radio audience as well. Next week, Lord willing, you will be able to listen to part two. But if you are watching it live right now, whether on our YouTube channel, Sira International, or our Facebook page, alfadi.sira, Please stay with us, and I see many of your comments. I encourage you now for the second part, if you are joining us live, to begin to think about questions that we can ask our brother Mel here concerning this particular topic or anything that you have come across from the work that he has done. We're talking about historical criticism of Islam, so don't ask me a question about the Trinity, okay? So I want to make it clear. We're not talking about the Trinity. We're talking about historical criticism that has to do either with the biography of Muhammad or any of the other work that our brother talked about. For instance, who is the person of Muhammad? That will be another idea if you want to ask about. Uh, or the Jerusalem thesis concerning uh, parts of the pilgrims, uh, the Islamic pilgrimage, and so on and so forth, which we've done shows on that. But if you want to take advantage of the fact that he is with us here live, please ask those specific questions. If you ask me a question about the Trinity... Or if the Bible is corrupt, I'm not going to look at your question. So don't think I'm ignoring it because I, I didn't care for it because it doesn't apply. Uh, and I'm being frank here uh, with you folks. Sometimes I get questions that have nothing whatsoever to do with the topic. We want to respect our brother's time. And with that in mind, brother, I want to thank you, of course, for being here with us. And if you don't mind, uh, you know, hanging on until the second part of this particular live stream, and uh, I want to thank everyone who is joining us. Please stay tuned for just about a minute of transition. And thank you to our radio audience of Let Us Reason. Uh, until next week and until next part, everyone have a blessed day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.